Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. I'm privileged to be sharing with you. Um, as most of you know, um, our family is here in the middle of our furlough from our ministry in Togo. And so part of that time has been spent visiting other churches and sharing with them and even um, getting an opportunity to preach. Um, so it's a joy to be here and be able to preach to you guys this morning. And when Pastor Leek asked me this last week, do you have anything prepared to share? I'm like, well, yeah, I do. Um, it's what I've been able to share with other churches. And so now I'm glad I can share it here. And so we're going to be talking this morning from Luke 24 um, and talking about missions. Again, if you give a missionary an opportunity to talk about God's plan for the world, he's going to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, but I was also asking the question as I was preparing for this morning, um, how does this fit in and help us just in the midst of all we're going through in life right now? Um, and to help you understand that, I want you to think for a moment about the disciples, because we're going to talk about the commission that God gave to the disciples. Um, but think where they were at right at this moment. Um, they were hiding in the upper room. Um, they were scared. They were despairing. Um, they had thought Jesus was going to come and he was going to save them from the Romans. That had been their hope. And suddenly they watched him unjustly killed. And so their disappointment must have been great. We know that. And then all of a sudden, Christ appears to them. And what does he give them in that moment of them, their despair? He gives them himself, risen, triumphant. And then he goes on to explain to them that no matter what just happened, God is still at work. And he calls them to participate in that work. And so I share this because many of us here have been discouraged about the events over the past year. We probably are not going to rate this as the 2020 is the best year in the history of civilization. And if we're honest, it wasn't the worst. Um, worst, there were other years that were hard and we did have good things happen, but I think it would be fair to say with the pandemic and the disunity of the nation and all these other trials that, that it was a hard year. It was not the year we were hoping for. And then, frankly, we look at 2021 and the start we've gotten off to, and it hasn't been a whole lot better, if we're honest. Um, COVID is still in full force. Our pastor is still sick. Um, we watched the recent riots at the Capitol this week. Um, and we watched that with sadness and even anger. And I'll just be honest, for our family, we've been going through some tough things. Um, just at the end of 2020, my wife's grandfather passed away, and so we're dealing with the sorrow of that. And then we just got news that her grandmother on the other side of the family, has been diagnosed with brain cancer. And I mean, it's a hard start to the year. And I know we're not the only ones going through hard things. And so maybe some of you are honestly just afraid to have hope that this year is going to be better or have expectations because you're thinking, well, it's just an opportunity to get disappointed again. So how does a sermon on missions help us with all that we're experiencing right now? And I would say that it helps us because in the midst of all this discouragement, we need hope. And hope is never going to be found in the things of this world. If we trust in circumstances, if we trust in people, if we trust in government, we're going to be disappointed. But Christ gives us something better. He gives us himself. He gives us himself risen and victorious. And he lets us know that God's purpose even in 2020 and 2021, it has been unfolding exactly as he has planned. 
It's not just unfolding as he has planned. It's unfolding for our good to show us his love. And what is more, he is calling us to take a part in that plan. The word mission that carries this idea that God has sent us out to help accomplish his purpose. He isn't just working to redeem mankind. He's actually calling us to participate in that work. And that's a promise of something that is certain, that cannot be stopped. And so it gives us hope. And so that's why today we're going to talk about God's mission. Um, And I pray that as we talk about this passage, that it will give you hope as it reminds you what God is doing in the world, as he has always been doing it, and what your role is. And I want to remind you that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our purpose is to play a part in the expansion of that kingdom. And this gives us hope because we know that God's purposes will not be disappointed. So let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll jump into this passage. God, I thank you just for the privilege and opportunity of sharing with my church body um, what you have laid on my heart from this passage about your mission. And we thank you that you are in control of this world and that we look around at things that may seem crazy outwardly and let we know that steadily and assuredly your purpose is marching forth. So just bring us joy and comfort in that today and bring us purpose as we think how we are to be involved in that and how you have guaranteed our success and so we can go forth each day in hope Um, knowing that we are seeing your kingdom advance for your glory. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke 24. I'm going to read here from verses 44 through 49. Here, the disciples are sitting in the upper room. Jesus has just appeared to them. He has shown proof that he is alive. And then he gives them these words. It says here, "Then Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So remember, this is immediately following Christ's resurrection. He's appeared to the women. He's appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And now he has appeared to the 11 here. He's given them proof that he is alive. And now he gives these words. He says, because I am risen from the dead, this is what you are to go out to do. And I think it's important to remember in this context that, yes, this is the end of the book of Luke, but it's really a transition from Christ's ministry through the incarnation to his ministry through the church. Because Luke is actually two parts. It's Luke and Acts. Um, And what we know is that Acts, Luke describes it as he's going to say what Christ is continuing to do. That's what's happening. Christ is going to work through his church. And so these verses really are that hinge point, that turning point um, in this narrative. And so today we're going to look at three points. Um, We're going to say that you are part of God's plan, you are part of God's witness, and you take part in God's power. So starting from the first point, you are part of God's plan. Um, We see this verses 44 through 47. Um, Maybe a better way to put it would be God has a glorious plan for Jesus Christ as redeemer and king of the world. He's made you a part of it. 
Because when we know about the plan of God, we know that it's meant to shine forth the glory of Christ. It's not about us, ultimately. It's about Christ. But the exciting thing is, is what glorifies God is by is his outpouring of his infinite grace upon us and showing us his love. And so we are his redeemed. We are heirs with Christ. And that involvement should lead us to thank and praise God all the more. So as Christ explains this, first of all, he tells them that what had happened to him had been predicted. Um, if you think about the story of Luke, there are actually three times, twice in Luke 9, once in Luke 18, where Jesus has predicted his death and resurrection. So if you read in Luke 18, verses 31 through 34, Christ says to his disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. So we see Christ multiple times foretold his death and his resurrection, and yet the disciples, they didn't understand what was going on because they were expecting a Messiah who would come and rule. And so that's why they were in the midst of all this confusion and despair, because they didn't understand why all this was happening. And actually, if you look throughout this chapter, there's multiple times where this is brought up. The angels say this to the women, just Christ says it to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, they've heard this prophecy, but they don't understand it. And so Christ is seeking to make it clear. He's making it clear that this has been the plan of God all along. All of scripture has Jesus Christ at the center of it. And when he invokes the law and the prophets of the psalm, he's saying that the whole Old Testament, it points to him. So I don't know exactly what verses... Christ specifically had in mind. Maybe he was thinking of Genesis 3.15, where it talks about the bruised heel crushing the head of the serpent. Maybe he was thinking of Isaiah 53, where it talks about the suffering servant. Maybe he thinks of Psalm 16.10, which said, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. But what he's saying is his death and his resurrection were not a surprise. And they weren't just one of the many things God had predicted but that God had been directing every moment to this point in history. And he was magnifying Christ by working out his plan in this way. Um, I love the words that Christ used here saying it must be fulfilled because that has two implications here. One, it's telling us that God couldn't accomplish the redemption of humanity if Christ had not suffered and died. Um, but more than that, it also says that God's character demands that when he has promised to do something, that that will happen, that there is nothing that can stop it. And it's important for us to remember and to stand in awe that we have a God who is at work in history, working for his will. And he's not just sovereign, but he's good. He's working for our good. And that's a huge comfort in these days, is it not? Because we can look at all the confusion and trust, God, you are sovereign and you are good and you are working for your plan and you're working for my benefit. Um, I love the words of the disciples' prayers when they had been persecuted in Acts 4, 27 and 28. They pray these words. They say, for truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So we see that Satan tried to fight God, 
The Jewish leaders tried to fight God. The Romans tried to fight God. And all they did was accomplish God's plan. And that gives us comfort even today. So Christ has explained to them the necessity of his death and resurrection. And then he goes on to give them a supernatural understanding of his work. Um, Because it wasn't enough just to tell them this. Christ had to help them understand. And I'm reminded that even sometimes as believers, we need this same work of God in our hearts. We need him to help us understand. Because we can be blind to God's plan. And we can miss what God is doing. Or maybe we understand intellectually what he's at work doing. And we don't live our lives as if we are invested in God's plan. So I'd ask you the question, do you live as if all of history is moving towards the exaltation of Christ and his kingdom? We need God to open our hearts and minds so not only that we understand this, but that we live it out each day. Christ then goes on and he details what this plan is. He says, thus it is written that the Christ would, number one, suffer. On the third day, he would rise again from the dead, number two. And thirdly, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And if you note back in Luke 18, when we read Christ's prediction of his death and resurrection, there was one thing he didn't mention that he adds here. He says that the, he says that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to all nations. He's saying, why did I come to suffer and die? This is why, so that repentance and forgiveness of sins could be proclaimed, so that we could repent and come to him. And again, this is that transition point in the book of Acts. Up until now, we're looking forward to Christ's death and resurrection. Now we're looking at what are the implications of this? How did this change the course of human history? And how does this change our lives? We could ask the question, who are the nations? Well, they're the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Um, This is a transition too, and God's ministry towards mankind. Primarily, up to this point, he had been working through the Jewish people, um, but now he's focusing through the church on all peoples. There's no particular focus on the Jewish people. Even though we acknowledge that he has a future for them right now, he's working for everybody, and he's working through the church in this way. We're not just talking about countries, though that's part of it. We're talking about what some would call people groups, um, distinct groups tied together by culture, by kinship, by geography and language. Um, And God wants the gospel to go to all of these peoples. And I share this because even in Togo, where we're at, there's a lot of different groups of people that speak different languages that have some of their own customs. And you can't just focus on one group of people. You have to focus on each one if you want to see the gospel go forth to those who have not yet been reached. And Christ says here, In talking about this, he says it's always been God's plan to bring the nations into his family. And there's a lot of scripture that talks about it, but I want to just take a moment to look at this because it's really interesting when you take and trace throughout scripture, when you trace messianic prophecy, you see very often it ties into this theme of God bringing the nations into his family. So if you think about the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, Three. It says, I will bless you, I will make your name great, I will make your name a nation. But it ends by saying, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was why God was blessing the nation of Israel. It wasn't just to have a relationship with them, it was also to then use them to bless the rest of the world. Um, and you see, it's actually interesting, in Peter's sermon in Acts 3, he ties this in. He says, Christ came to give you blessing by turning each of you from your sins. And he's saying, well, 
who is the one who is coming? Who is the seed? It's Christ. And what is the blessing? It's forgiveness of sin. That's ultimately what God is doing. So we see that in the Abrahamic covenant. We see that in the prophecy um, in Genesis 49.10, where it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Um, We see this in Psalm 22, this great messianic psalm, where even Christ quotes on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's so many things there pointing to the death and suffering of Christ. But towards the end, this psalm says in verse 27, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Um, Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 49.6. Isaiah actually speaks a lot about what God is going to do with the nations, and I'm not going to detail all of that. Um, One thing you can just think of in the passage of the suffering servant, he says, so he shall sprinkle many nations, looking forward to the fact that Christ would not be just a sacrifice for the Jews, but a sacrifice for the nations as well. Um, but in Isaiah 49, 6, there are these words, and I love them. Um, God is talking to his Messiah, his servant, and God says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So we see that from the beginning, this has been God's plan. And why does he do that? He does it for his glory. Again, in Isaiah 49, 6, it says, it is too light a thing. And he's not saying that redeeming Israel isn't worthwhile, because of course it was. These were God's chosen people. But what he's saying is, in accomplishing redemption through Christ, God had done something that was too great and too amazing to leave it just for one people. He had to declare it to the entire earth and to accomplish his redemption among the nations. So I want to make this personal. Think about it. You are standing here as a child of God, and that is an accomplishment of what God promised here. Christ died for you. God was working throughout all of human history so that he could bring you into his kingdom and make you his child. And if we think about that, if we think about that enormous love of God, it should overwhelm our minds and it should lead us to fall down on our faces and praise God to worship him for what he has done for us. But it doesn't end with us. We are part of his plan to now see that go forth to all peoples. And the reason is, is because his glory cannot be contained such that he only saves one person or one group of people, or those who are just like us. And so when we refuse to engage in that mission, when we refuse to engage to see his gospel reach all nations, we show that we have a woeful underappreciation of his glory. If we love him, we will want others to love him too, to know him, to be redeemed by him, to be worshipped by him, because that's the way he is glorifying himself on this earth. And so if you were to ask me, how can I develop a heart from the nations? This is how I would answer. I would say, look at the cross. Marvel at what Christ did for you. Think about his sacrifice, what it cost him. And then let that motivate you to go forth and see his gospel brought to all peoples. Someone asks us, why are you in West Africa? Why are you serving in Togo? That's the reason. We want to see worshipers of Jesus Christ among the Togolese. 
And what's amazing is we're getting to see God accomplish that. Again, remember, we said it must be accomplished. This is, this is God saying what will happen. We know it's certain. And so whether it's looking at some of our Togolese chaplains in the hospital and seeing some who have been saved um, out of the Islamic faith, and now they are faithfully evangelizing for Christ and leading home churches, um, whether that's um, a prisoner, former prisoner who's part of our home group, who God used his time in prison as an opportunity for him to share the gospel. That is God accomplishing his prophecies that he has said for thousands of years he would do. God's doing that right now in Togo. And that's, that's exciting to see God at work doing that. So we've seen that we are a part of God's plan. We've talked that God has a plan for the nations and that he's including us in it. And we've said you know, it's not just we're a part of it because we're redeemed. It's a part of it because we're seeing that plan go forth. We have a responsibility to help see that accomplished. And so that brings us to our second point. We are part of God's witnesses. We are part of God's witness. Verse 48 says, you are witnesses of these things. What is a witness? It's someone who sees something and then goes and reports it to others. So the disciples have seen Christ fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. And they are going to be the ones who declare that to others. And we see that fulfilled in the book of Acts. What's the message they're going to bring? We see that back in verse 47. Go back there. We see they're not just declaring the fact that he died and rose again. They're declaring the implications of that. Our message is one of repentance and forgiveness of sins. We go out and publicly herald to others, you must turn from your sinful ways and come to Christ in faith so that you may receive forgiveness of sins. Um, it's that faith that leads us to forgiveness. We were under the condemnation of God justly because of what we had done. But God has released us from that debt if we put our faith in Jesus Christ because Christ has already paid the penalty. And so I'm just going to pause a moment because I've been in church all my life. I know there are people here who may not yet believe in Jesus Christ. I remember even when I was a child um, growing up and thinking, yeah, I know Christ saved me, but I'm a pretty good kid, so that's got to count for something, too. Um, there may be people here, young people here like that, who are still trusting in the things that they have done. Um, there may be others of you who are just sitting there thinking, well, is this really worth it? Do I really want to devote my whole life to this? Um, maybe you're here for the first time. But I would challenge you, you can't participate in the blessings of what God is doing if you are not first a part of his family. And Christ died so that we each have that opportunity to be a part of his kingdom. And so I just want each of you to think about that. If you have not yet accepted Christ, please do that. Because God made a great sacrifice in Jesus Christ so that we could be a part of his kingdom. And if we turn our backs on that, if we shame God in that way, he is completely just in punishing us for our sins. But if we have accepted that, and I hope that you have, now we're a part of his kingdom. And that doesn't mean just experiencing the blessings, but that means going out and declaring that to others. So we go out. We don't just be witnesses by our actions, though that's part of it. We go out by declaring it, by telling people that they must believe in Jesus Christ. We do that in the name of Jesus Christ, as it said. It's repent repentance and forgiveness of sins that are, is proclaimed in his name. And that's important 
because it carries the idea that repentance and forgiveness of sins is found in Christ's name alone. There's no other system of religion or works or things that we can do to give us forgiveness. It's Christ alone. It also carries the idea that Christ has a claim on all peoples, that there is nowhere where he does not claim authority. And this is hard for our world to accept because they say, well, what right do you have, what right do you have to go into Togo and tell people you have to leave the things you have believed in for thousands of years and turn to Jesus Christ? And the reality is, I don't tell people that they have to do that because of me. It's not my opinion that makes a difference. Why do they need to do that? That's because Jesus Christ said that. I'm not going to Togo to convert people to be like Western Christians. That's not my goal. I don't want them to be like Westerners. I want them to be followers of Jesus Christ. And yes, that's an offense of the gospel. That is the offense to say that. But it's also the power of God. It's how he saves men and women. And so we go forward and we declare that in the name of Christ. The disciples were called to give that message, but we too are called to give that because the command applies to us also. Yes, we didn't see Christ's death and resurrection, but we have their testimony. We can see how God has worked in our lives, and so we go forth and declare that to others. What is our mission? Um, Christ lays it out pretty clearly in Matthew 28. He says, make disciples of all nations, and we do that by going out, by baptizing, and then by teaching them to do all that Christ commanded. Um, so that what, that's what missions means. It's not just evangelism, though that's a part of it. It's then taking people who have come to Christ and seeing them discipled up and grow in their faith so that they can now gather together in churches, in fellowship, in the fellowship of the body, and then they go out and continue that process. That's what we're doing in this world. And so the big question then becomes, practically, how do we go do that? How do we accomplish that through Christ? Um, and I think there's a valuable principle here. It says to begin in Jerusalem. This harkens also to Acts 1.8, where it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the end of the earth. This provides us with a practical example of how we can do that. Um, first of all, talking about Jerusalem, who did God put around you? That's where, where it starts. It's building the kingdom of God with the people God has placed in your life. And I know you know that, so I'm not going to spend time there. And I will say that that is necessary but it's not sufficient to obey Christ's command. It's like saying in a healthy diet, you need to have protein. That's true. But if all I eat is protein, that's not healthy. So again, if we only focus on just those who are around us, we're missing something. We still carry the responsibility to fulfill that all nations part. And so I want to answer that question partially in this point and then the next point that we're going to talk about. Um, how do we do this? One thing I would challenge you is with the question, how can you reach out cross-culturally in your own backyard? If you think about who the Samaritans were, they were half Jews, they were different culturally and religiously, they were right in the Jewish backyard, and they had been largely ignored. But God corrects that attitude and said, no, now you need to go reach them with the gospel of Christ. And if we look at our own lives, we live in a very multicultural country, even state and city. I think even of my time as a doctor um, in Baltimore and D.C. and just how many different um, people from other countries I treated during my time there. Um, we have these people around us, and we need to take advantage of that opportunity to cross even cultural barriers in our own backyard. And I want to be frank. I think, honestly, as the Church of Christ, we get distracted by so many other issues. We, we talk about things like immigration and refugees and the language we speak here in our country and legal status, and we, we ignore the fact that God has given us a command to reach all peoples. 
And I'm not saying that those questions aren't important and they don't have their proper place. But when we get to heaven, what is God going to worry more about? Is he going to worry about what political opinions we held? Or is he going to worry about our work for his kingdom? And I think that answer is obvious. And so I'm afraid that we become so distracted at times within the church by these other things that we're missing the fact that we have this amazing opportunity to reach the nations right in our backyard with the gospel. Because we don't have to travel. We don't have to learn a new language. We don't have to establish new residency. We don't have to learn how to shop, how to bank, how to drive, how to pay taxes. And I've actually done that in two separate countries. And I can attest to the fact that it's a source of pain it's frustrating. It's a significant investment of time of m- time and money. But right here in our backyard, we don't have to do any of that. Additionally, there are countries that are closed that even if you wanted to get in with the gospel, it would be so difficult to do that. But we have people right in our backyard, and I'm not saying it's easy, but all we really have to do is take the initiative to go build a relationship, show the love of Christ, and share his truth. And that's an amazing opportunity. And I actually know we have people in this congregation who are part of the body of Christ because people chose to do that in their lives. Um, Think of who we have. We have international students around us. We have refugees. We have immigrants, even second, third generation immigrants. And it's up to us as the body of Christ to take the initiative, just as Christ took it with us, and go to them and establish a relationship. Um, Just to give you a story, before we left for Togo, um, when I had been working in D.C., I built a relationship with this Ethiopian family because I had actually um, delivered one of their babies and took care of their kids. And so in that opportunity, I had had the opportunity to share the gospel with the wife who wasn't a believer. And we actually had them into our home um, before leaving. And they told us they had been here 10 years, and they had never been in an American home up until that point. And I was glad we could have them into our home, but that made me sad to think, Why are we not taking advantage of these opportunities? Just showing hospitality, just showing love can open some amazing doors. And I think even as we do the work in Togo, we're doing compassion ministry. Why are we doing that? Because as you show love to people, oftentimes it causes them to slow down and listen to what you say. And so you show them love, and the Spirit uses that to convict them of the truth of his message, and they listen to the message that you bring. Um, And God can use that. And so we need to think, how do we show love Again, in our own backyard, Um, many times these groups of immigrants, refugees, like these are people who have tangible physical needs. And we as the body of Christ can help meet that. And then we can share an even greater riches of Jesus Christ with them. So this is one way we can bring the gospel to the nations. But what about those who are overseas? Just because it's difficult to reach them, does that mean we don't have a responsibility? Of course not. So maybe some of you who are hearing this, God's actually laying it on your heart to go. Maybe he's causing you to think about that. And I would encourage you, again, to to take that seriously if God is challenging you. There's a book in the Bible about someone God called to go, and he didn't go. It's called the book of Jonah. Read that. Don't ignore his call. Um, But again, most of you aren't called to go. What is your role? And then as we just look at this task, honestly, from a human standpoint, we're going to look, this is a big task. It's a hard task. Let's be honest. It's an impossible task, humanly speaking. So how do we we accomplish it? And that brings us to our third point, 
which is you take part in God's power. And we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit works in our lives and how that plays a role in bringing the gospel to the nations. So let me read verse 49. Christ continues, he says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Remember, God had promised his Holy Spirit was going to come. He had promised that in the Old Testament, that his Holy Spirit would come as part of the new covenant and would change their hearts and would work through them. And I love this phrase where Christ describes it, you will be clothed from power with power from on high. And power has the idea of divine supernatural ability. And it's a beautiful picture because when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, he comes and lives in us. He transforms our lives. He works through us in such a way that Christ can say we are clothed with his power. And I don't want us to look at the abuses of spiritual gifts that we see by certain people around us and then let that lead to us diminishing our understanding of the Holy Spirit and his power that is truly in our lives. He is supernaturally at work among us. And so how are we clothed with this power? How do we see it working in us? And there's actually a lot of ways you could answer this, but I'm going to focus on two right here. Um, first of all, we see God's power at work through us, through the Holy Spirit, by how he works through our witness. Think of the disciples' lives. These 11 uneducated men, God worked through them, and they transformed Jerusalem and the entire world. Um, and if you think about it, there were more converts on the first day the Holy Spirit came than the entire three years that Christ was performing his earthly ministry. That is how important the Holy Spirit is to our ministry, and that is how powerfully he can work. Um, Christ had promised that the Holy Spirit would come and bear witness through their words. And so we see that in the disciples' lives, and it works in the same way for us. The Holy Spirit supernaturally works through our witness as we bear witness to the word of Jesus Christ, and he imparts spiritual life through that. So this is one of the ways we are clothed through the Holy Spirit's power. And really, it's amazing when you think about it, because this is the greatest miracle that could happen. We talk about wanting to see God work miraculously. Oh, why can't we see him part the Red Sea like he did back in, in the days of Moses? But in reality, to think that God takes sinful man, who is in absolute rebellion against God, who has no desire to follow God, and God changes his heart such that he now loves and serves Jesus Christ and will be even willing to die for Jesus Christ because he loves him to that extent, that really is the greatest supernatural work that God could accomplish. And we're seeing that happen around us here in Togo and other parts of the world, and we should be amazed at that. We don't want to become, I guess, just so familiar with the fact that God has changed our hearts or has changed other hearts that we don't realize that is a supernatural work. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And I say that because it gives us courage and it gives us confidence as we go out and share God's love with others. We know that his Holy Spirit is working through us. We can't change people, but God's Spirit can, and he's working through us. But there's another way that Christ clothes us with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's through our spiritual gifting. Think about it. When we are baptized in the body of Christ, not only does his Holy Spirit indwell us, but he gifts us uniquely, each one of us. And this becomes very valuable in helping us understand how God can use each one of us in his mission. Because we're asking the question, if it's not my job to go, do I have a role to play? And is that role valuable? And I would answer from scripture that yes, you have a role to play. And yes, that role is valuable. It's crucial. So let me explain that. I'm going to give you three statements. 
The first is, our spiritual gifting is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We read this in 1 Corinthians 12:11 that says, All these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Um, second statement, we are gifted so that we can bring about the building up and the maturity of the body of Christ. I'm not going to read it, but you see that in Ephesians 4, where he gives pastors and teachers to equip the body to carry out the work of ministry. And then as everyone does that work of ministry, the body is built up. But it's important to note that what's included in that gifting, one of them is evangelism. And so it's not just that the body grows into maturity as people who are already believers grow in maturity, but it's also the body grows into maturity as others are added to that body. And the third statement here is that each believer with their gifting is vitally important to the body. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 12, where it says there is one body, but there are many members, and God has arranged each as he chose, and that each part has a unique role. Even members that may think, hey, my gifting really isn't that important. God says you have a unique role. And so that guards against pride and it guards against self-pity because I can't say I don't have a need of you and you can't say I'm not necessary. No, we're all necessary in this process. So let me repeat those statements and then we'll talk about their implications. First of all, we said the spirit empowers our gifts. Secondly, you are gifted to build up the body. And third, each person's gifting is vitally important to the body. So what that means when we put it together is that if we want to effectively use the Holy Spirit's power to reach the nations, each one of us needs to be faithfully using our spiritual gifts where God has uniquely placed us. Let me repeat that again. If we want to be effectively used, if we want to effectively use the Holy Spirit's power to reach the nations, each one of us needs to be faithfully using our spiritual gifting where God has uniquely placed us. Or to state that negatively, each time one of us ignores the use of our spiritual gifting for the work of missions, that work suffers because the body is missing out on a vital function. And so this should encourage us and excite us and motivate each of us to ask, how can I accomplish God's mission? What is his unique role for me? How can I help Christ's name go forth? And I would submit to you that we need some, what I would call, sanctified creativity, I think sometimes we get a little scared of the word creativity. We think that's going to mean flags in church and someone painting as some pastor leaks giving the sermon. We're not talking about that. Um, but what I mean is really thinking through creatively from our own perspective about how do we apply these principles that God has given us to see his gospel go forth. So let me explain this and flesh this out and give you a few ideas. Let's think about missions on the front lines. Are pastors needed to do missions work? Yes, clearly. You need to train up the church. You need to train people up. You need to plant churches. Um, so they're needed. But it's not just pastors who are needed. Um, in fact, it could probably cause a problem on a missions team if that's all the missions team was made up of. You'd probably be asking more for conflict. There's a need for a whole unique set of gifting and roles. So, for example, we know we have the gifts of service and mercy, right? Those are part of spiritual gifting. Think of how valuable those become. Again, we're using our hospital to help share the gospel of Christ, and I am so thankful that I have colleagues beside me who are gifted to show mercy and to serve faithfully. Again, on our team, we have a couple young women who are serving to help teach our kids, and so they're helping our kids grow academically, helping them grow spiritually, and enabling us to do the work there in Togo. Um, we have people who are providing maintenance work, and I can just tell you that my skill as a doctor is not valuable if the 
power isn't working, if the oxygen isn't working. And so they're very much behind the scenes, but they are so valuable. So there's this role for this whole host of gifting to see the gospel go forth. And again, at the end of the day, we're always putting the gospel at the forefront. And it's not just the gifting of the missionaries who have come there, but it's also the gifting of the Togolese believers. Um, I have my friend who I work alongside, I'll call him Pierre. He's a gifted evangelist, and he has a heart and a compassion just to sit with people and spend time. And I have seen the fruit of his ministry. So it's not just my ministry, it's God gifting him, and together we're working together for the growth of his church. So I'm going to challenge you. Could God be calling you to go overseas? He has given you some unique gifting and experience, and perhaps he wants you to use that in an overseas context to get see the gospel go forth. And if he is asking you that, again, like I said, consider that. It is my prayer that God would send out other missionaries from this church and that he would expand our ministry by doing this. We can't just wait until the work is finished here because it's never going to be finished here. We can't wait to go. Um, and again, my challenge to you as a church is to think about this. Um, we as a church, Hope Bible Church, needs to send our best. Think about the example of the church at Antioch. Who did they send out? They sent out Paul and they sent out Barnabas. Was that a sacrifice for their church? I have to admit, yes, of course that was a sacrifice. But they didn't see it as a loss to their ministry. And why was that? Because they really saw Paul and Barnabas as extending their ministry out. And so when we have that focus, we can have the courage to step out in faith and send our best because we know it's an expansion of what God is doing through us. So this idea of gifting applies on the front lines, but it also applies in the supporting role. We need a variety of giftings in the supporting role to see the gospel go forth. And I would just like to take a moment, honestly, to encourage you guys, because as I was thinking about this, you guys are doing that. We can testify in so many ways how God has blessed us in our ministry by what you guys have done at Hope Bible Church. And so we are so thankful for that. And I would just encourage you to do this more and more. So what are some of the gifts that help on this? Well, we know there's a gift of giving. Obviously, that's a useful one to get to the mission field and see a ministry go forth. Um, Paul talked about the Philippians who gave to his ministry, and he described them as partners in the ministry. Um, and I'm just going to say a couple things about this. First of all, one way you guys have been help giving is giving to this Christmas project to help with these audio um, devices so we can help get the gospel out in Togo. Um, I'm just blessed to say we had challenged if we could try to raise $3,000 to buy 100 of these. Um, we raised close to $9,000 for this project. <laughs> so praise God for that. And that's an idea of creatively using our gifting to see the gospel go forth. Another thing I will practically say uh, is there is a young woman from our church, Teresa Guillory, who is going out to serve in Togo for a few years alongside of us. And I can testify to her character and how God is using her there just from the short time that she was there. And so if you're looking for a practical application, I would say go talk to her, find out more about her ministry, pray for her, and give to her to help her so that you can be a part of her ministry that she's going to be doing there. So giving is one thing. We also have gifts of equipping, and I even think in my own life how it started from my parents, from Sunday school. Like, even now you're impacting our children here, your own children. God is using that to help equip people for his gospel work. And I can think of how many of you at this church poured into our family's lives so that we were better equipped to minister on the field. Um, there are gifts that tie into encouragement or even counseling. And the reality is, is going on the mission field is hard work. 
it's tough. Your missionaries will face discouragement. So as you come alongside them and serve them, that helps the work go forth. And as we think about faith that God is going to work and think about prayer, I would encourage you and say that prayer is the greatest way you can participate in the kingdom work. Um, Think of the Lord's Prayer. Christ instructs us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer for missions, that there will be followers of Jesus Christ on this earth, throughout this whole earth, glorifying him. And like I said, I can't emphasize how important your prayers are to our work. And so again, as we talk about this sanctified creativity, I would encourage you to think about it because you can probably answer this question better than I can for yourselves because you know your own gifting, you know your own experience. And so as you sit and ponder and think, how can God use me to be a part of this great work that he is doing in the world? um, You, I think, can come up with even better ideas of how to partner, how to see this go forth. That doesn't mean the first idea that comes to your head is going to be the best, but as you, you bounce it off others, you pray about it, you seek wisdom. Um, There are some amazing things God can do through the people of this church as we just think of how do I use my gifting to see the kingdom of God go forth. And even if you feel unimportant, you have a role to play. And I'll just share a personal testimony from my own life. I shared a bit about this, but some of our ministry is following up people in the hospital and we go out into villages and do Bible studies. And so I'll go along with my friend Pierre But again, these are all in a different language, and I feel pretty useless at times. But I go to be an encouragement, and I ask him once, and I said, like, honestly, is it really helpful to have me? Am I just a distraction? He said, no, no, no. You need to go. And as I teach people, you pray, and we're going to see God's work. So I I took that to heart the next time I went with him. And I was just, I had been praying before, but it was really just taking that time as he was teaching just to pray, 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 pray that God would work. And at the end of that time, He asked me, oh, doctor, do you have anything to add? Which I always find a really funny question because I don't know what he just said. He could have been saying heresy and I wouldn't know anything. (laughs) But we were talking from John 3 and I was thinking about the verse at the end of John 3 where it says, whoever believes the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. And I said, is this worthwhile talking to, talking to people about? Because again, we're in a Muslim people group. I'm not giving the name of this people group for security reasons. I'm just because I know this is broadcasted over the internet. But this is an unreached people group. It's a Muslim group. And, and so they need to know it's not just, oh, here is Jesus Christ as a prophet. Here is Jesus Christ as the only way to God. And so I said, is this a good time to talk about it? He's like, yeah, I think this is. So he starts talking. And suddenly there's all these questions going back and forth. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? And he starts translating to me. And he says, there's one lady who is saying, you know, you've come and told us about Jesus Christ. And I believe he is the way to God. And there's another lady who's talking about, okay, so we're going to follow Jesus, but how do we pray to him? Is it different? And then the man who is there, he's asking the question, well, I have multiple wives. If I follow Christ, what does it mean? What's the cost? And again, I'm just sitting there amazed because, again, I was praying. I know it wasn't me doing great things, but God is at work and he uses our prayers and he uses us even in our moments of weakness to see his gospel go forth. And I would submit to you, that the Lord needs humble people who are submitted to him more than he needs those with great talents. Because it's his power and not ours. And when he works through our weaknesses, he gets the glory. So don't let that discourage you, but let that comfort you and motivate you to keep working, even if you sit there and go, what do I have to offer? Well, humanly, you don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to offer, but God wants to work through you. I'm going to close um, just by giving a testimony about 
a baptism that we had right before we were leaving. Um, the last weekend we were there back in June in Togo, um, we were able to have a baptism among this people group that we work, work with. And I share it because it, it's so encouraging, but it also brings in all these elements together. So I'll just be honest. Our time in Togo was hard. There were a lot of things I, we went through. Um, and there were times, honestly, where you would ask questions. God, what are you doing? Why am I here? What's being accomplished? Um, because you face discouragement and you just realize your own weakness in a very acute way. Um, but that weekend, as we were about to leave, we were part of this baptism. And I said, this is an unreached people group. There are some believers among them, but they don't even have the whole Bible in their language. They just have the New Testament. Um, but some of the believers from our home group, they were ready to be baptized. And I got to participate in that. And I just remember being a part of that and thinking about all the ways God had been working during these past two and a half years and beyond. Ways he was working at times when I thought nothing's happening and I was discouraged. And yet God was still at work. And there were people here who prayed and who had invested in our ministry. And there were things I was able to be a part of. But it was also my friend Pierre and his faithfulness in the ministry and other missionaries on our team. Even people who had been there before and invested in this group of people. But had had to leave the field for other reasons. But again, all these people working in different ways with their gifting. And God is working to accomplish his purpose. And we get to see these people publicly proclaim that they are followers of Jesus Christ. And I had a friend there who is a Togolese nurse, um, strong believer, um, works at our hospital. But he told me, he said, Doctor, if you had told me 10 years ago that we would be having a baptism among these people, I would have told you you were crazy. Um, but we, we serve a God who does crazy things, who is working for his glory, who does the impossible. And I share that as just one story of what God is doing throughout the world. One day, we're going to be in heaven, and we're going to worship alongside people like this, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, and we're going to be able to talk to them, and we're going to hear how God worked in their lives. We're going to share how he worked in our lives, and together we're going to praise Christ all the more for his glorious grace because what he has accomplished. And again, like we said, this is certain. It's not a question of if it will happen. We know it will. And so I just want to leave you with this challenge. Ask how can I be a part of spreading God's gospel to the nations? And then just go out simply and live in obedience to that. That is what God is calling to us to, and that is what gives us hope, that we can be part of a purpose that cannot fail, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are overwhelmed by your grace and how you work work in us and others together to accomplish your kingdom purposes, how you use us as weak vessels, as jars of clay. But you are doing that, and you call us to be a part in it. And we thank you for that hope and that purpose and that great love, that you would love us infinitely, and then you would use us to extend your infinite love throughout the world. And so I would just pray for people here, the members of my church, Thank you for how they have done this, and I pray that they would do that more. 
and that all of us would go out and live in obedience so that we would see your Son, Jesus Christ, glorified. And so we pray this in his name, because our desire is to see you worshipped. Lord, amen.